Hey everyone, I'm Preston Lee. And I'm Clay Mosley. And we are back with an all new season of Freelance to Founder. Every week we sit down with freelancers like you for actionable coaching calls with one mission. To help you ditch the feast famine lifestyle and build your own sustainable business. At one point, we were both brand new freelancers, barely making ends meet. But by now, we've started, grown, and even sold a few businesses of our own. And we want to help you do the same. If you're ready to go from freelance to founder, then join the army of freelancers who are taking matters into their own hands. Visit FreelanceToFounder.com to apply for your own on-air coaching call. And now, get ready to take some notes because an all-new episode of Freelance to Founder starts right now. On today's show, we have a chat with Erica, who frankly intimidates both Clay and myself. And that's because Erica is working with some of the brightest people in the world to solve some of the biggest problems faced by humanity. But despite working with some incredible clients and solving some meaningful problems, Erica is stuck when it comes to moving her business to the next level. What we uncover during the conversation is Erica, like so many of us, is perhaps getting the cart before the horse by developing a massive university-level course for PhDs before she ever tests the market to see if people will actually buy it. And since Clay and I are both, admittedly, more salesmen than educators, we offer an alternative approach that seems to resonate with Erica. If you're stuck in create mode and can't seem to get into the launch or revenue stage of your business, then stick around after this break because we've got some good advice for you. Whether you want to travel more or communicate better with international clients, you need to try Babbel. I've used Babbel's courses and you can do the same in order to learn real life conversation skills in a different language, order food, ask for directions, or speak to clients without having to use translation apps. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription. This is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash freelance. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash freelance, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash freelance. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome back to another episode of Freelance to Founder. As always, I'm joined here uh, by my good friend, Clay Mosley from GetDripify.com. Hey, Clay, how you doing, man? Hey, good. Always happy to be here. Yes, always happy to have you. And we are joined also by our friend, Erica. Hi, Erica. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks. It's really great to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you. You know, we've we've done a couple shows now like this where we're chatting with someone from our challenge, our uh, our five day recurring revenue challenge. So it's fun to already know a little bit about your business and about you. But for the listeners, let's let's start from scratch. Tell us what you're working on, uh, what your business looks like, and what what kind of things you do day to day. Um, sure. So uh, my business is called Hikma Strategies, and we help people who are deep into the weeds of really complex problems, be they entrepreneurs, nonprofit leaders, academics, draw out the key messages that are going to position them to connect with wider audiences and partners. Uh, our work involves different kinds of services. So grant writing and op-ed writing are part of it. Also workshops and facilitating meetings with stakeholders. Uh We've seen over the last year, all of us have, that there's a critical need for collaborative critical thinking to help us make better decisions, you know, both on individual and personal levels. Um, so I'm a PhD in medieval English lit with experience working on the innovation team at a major university, and I'm kind of uniquely positioned to help really complex thinkers tell better stories. So regardless of the oh, specifics... Wow, yeah. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, regardless of the service, the working, it mostly works because it comes down to asking people useful questions about what they're doing and, and what they want to be doing. 
and that that tends to pull okay. out really cool uh, insights and and storylines. Really cool. Thanks. So c- could you give us like a, yeah, it sounds really interesting. Could you give us an example of a client that you've worked with or, or an ideal client that you'd want to work with, like a real solid uh, scenario here so that listeners can really get a feel for the kind of work that you're doing? Uh, yeah, for sure. So without naming names, because I don't I don't have their permission. Um, of course, that's fine. Yeah, um, you know, topics from, so I've got one client who's working to change policy around electronic waste disposal in India to make it more of a sort of homegrown system. Another client who's working on better ways to engage authentically with genocide survivors. Uh, third one who's working on nuclear energy policy. Another one working on, uh, you know, mental health, how we protect the mental health of frontline workers. So it's really all wow. over the map. It's fun. Yeah. It's really yeah, interesting. You weren't kidding when you said you're tackling big problems. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, they are, I, I help tell the stories, which is, which is sure. just a really rewarding part of it. Yeah. So when you say you help tell the stories, unpack that for us a little bit. So a, a client comes to you or you go to a client and and you pitch what? What's the, what's the service? So the service is in the initial stages. We, we just started in 2020 and um, a part of my background is in grant writing. So a lot of it is helping them fund these projects, helping them figure out how to position them for people who are going to be excited to fund them because... You know, researchers in particular, um, when they want to solve a problem like this, they're doing it on a systems level, which involves thinking really deeply and critically about a very niche part of the issue. And and so it can be, there's a lot of resistance to telling it as a, we're going to change the world in this way. It's more, we're solving this particular part of this people particular problem to feed a greater conversation about this. They tend to be very humble and also very focused on getting the nuances exactly right. Um, Mm. And, and so you sort of ask the questions to pull out, well, why is this important to you? And, and what is the specific contribution that you're making and how can we present that in a way that has less jargon and that connects with people who care about the greater issue? I find a lot of my clients are super humble and so they don't want to, brag about their work and they don't want to make claims that they're able to do things that as researchers, they don't feel like they can claim total responsibility for. But on the other hand, if you want people to feel really invested in your issue, you have to show them how, what the bigger vision is. So we have to do that. Yeah, that sounds really exciting. You so you it. almost sound like and I and I don't want to oversimplify what you do by any means. And of course, you know, me understanding in five minutes what what you've spent a lifetime figuring out um is is probably rude of me. But it sounds to me like in a good way, in an exciting way, that you're maybe a mix between like uh, a, a branding person, a marketer, a public relations person, a copywriter, uh, like a um just a yeah, just like messaging. And it just sounds, I think it sounds really, really exciting and taking, and then that compounds with super interesting problems to be solved where you're not just coming up with a really great marketing campaign, like to sell some shoes or to sell an iPod or something. You're, you're coming up with uh, solutions to big problems. That's, that's really exciting. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Clay. I was gonna, I was gonna say, yeah. AKA also a little bit intimidating. <laughs> like, yeah, totally. <laughs> like you, sound like, you sound like you're like doing all these really big things to change the world. And like, now I feel like I need to do more. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I'm really inspired by the people that I'm working with. I, I think 
that, but that exactly that you're pointing out is, is part of the challenge is everybody's got expertise that they can bring to the table to solve these massive problems. And, and for academics, because they're trying to be so responsible about how they talk about their work, sometimes it's hard to find those points of connection. And, and when you're working in, you know, people picture the absent-minded professor, um, you know, I, I, many of my clients fit that description of being kind of eccentric and being really in the zone when they're working on their work. But, but you don't in academia always gain the skills to work collaboratively, work at a team. A lot of time you're in your office by yourself. And so some people need more help than others, making those problems more accessible because that's how you actually drive change. So much of the research stays in the university and never gets out. And so I work with people who want to learn how to do that better. Yeah, you're you're making it accessible to the right the right kinds of people to really make sure that the right kinds of changes can happen in the world. I love that. Thank you. Yeah, part yeah. of it's about so, building community. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Oh mm, no no yeah. no. Yeah. Yeah. So we're. I mean, yeah. The big the bigger vision, like the grant writing, I really enjoy and I'm pretty good at it. So it's been a great way to learn the system of the business, but. What I really want to do is is build a bigger community that's not just academics. That's all all kinds of different kinds of leaders in, you know, private sector, public sector, not for profit sector, who are working together to really tackle these challenges. That's that's the goal. I'm trying to figure that out now. So what you're telling us is all you all you really want to do is just like change the world or whatever. That's fine. I mean, in a nutshell, yeah. Basically. <laughs> or whatever. That's awesome. <laughs> That's, that's awesome. No, good for you. That's killer. That's that's really amazing. Let's let's talk about um now your your the the nitty gritty of your own business. Then, so you know, as as listeners of the show know, every time we have a guest come on, and if you want to come on the show, like Erica is on the show right now, we'd love to have you. You just have to visit freelance2founder.com. There's a little place you can sign up. When Erica signed up, uh, she filled out a form. And on that form, just so we could get to know her and her business, uh, there is also a question about on you know on a scale of one to ten, one being a freelancer, ten being a founder. Where do you live? So we're going to ask Erica about that, and then also in in you know six or twelve months, where do you want to be? So let's start first, Erica. What did you put in, in on your survey, or where would you say? I know you took the survey a little while ago. It's been you've been on the docket for quite a while here. Where would you say you are right now on a scale of one to ten? One being complete freelancer, 10 being founder, running a company, where do you put yourself on that scale? So I'm going to be a little aspirational and say, maybe I'm at a four, maybe a little, a little less. Things, <laughs> okay. are, things are in flux right now. Um, and I think uh, in a year, I'd like to be at a seven or an eight, um, probably. I love that. Okay, so walk us through why you say a four or or like maybe a three point seven five or whatever you're saying you're at. Why why do you why do you put yourself there on the scale? Yeah, so so we're pretty new. Um, I I just launched this last year, as I said, and I just hired my first subcontractor officially last week. I've been working with different collaborators in different ways, but um, you know, we've been for me, it's been like a few months ago. I was just learning, how do you write an invoice? How do you write a contract? How do you do all these really basic things that I was trying to figure out just to get the operations going? You know, I'm a U.S. citizen, but I live in Canada. So trying to figure out the taxes before I got myself into trouble. And now I'm actually at the point where I'm starting to think about the system. This seems to be working really well. Last, you know, when I started this, my husband and I said, 
if you make enough money to cover your laptop by the end of the year, we'll consider this successful. Um, (laughs) He's been really supportive, but I, you know, it it was actually um, in a very good way, you know, surprising and exciting how, how well it seemed to do. And I, I, you know, ended the year feeling pretty good about my prospects. So we're now just in the middle of pivoting to trying to design a course. Uh, and, and what I'm trying to do is, is use that project uh, as a way to test some new business ideas and really use it not just as a you know moneymaker, like I want to support myself and my team, uh, but also to really think about how I'm building this system for the long term. Um, so the fact that I'm in a position to be thinking on that systems level makes me feel like I've advanced a lot in the last few months, mm, uh, yeah. but, but I, I still have a ways to go in terms of actually doing it. Okay. Yeah. So, so tell us what it might look like in 12 months. What's, what's the ideal scenario? If we were to take a look at you and your business in, in 12 months from now, what would, what would you say is the dream scenario? So my vision right now, uh, that is, as I say, a work in progress, uh, is instead of just having this this one course focused on this pretty target audience, I'd really like to have a few that I can transform into a learning community. So people are taking these individual courses, they're coming to this shared space for the courses, but then there are also mechanisms for them to engage with each other. So maybe some are directed toward nonprofit leaders, some are for early career PhDs, some are mm-hmm. for entrepreneurs who are trying to figure out you know, some aspect that I can, I can bring expertise to, but then there's also a virtual space for them to be able to connect with each other. That, that networking piece I think is, or the community piece really is, is pretty critical to this. And if I could start to have that sense of community starting to be cultivated a year from now, that's what I would consider really successful. Okay, cool. And tell us what your team might look like in, in the next 12 months. You know, what, what might the administration of the company itself look like? Um, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so I, I'd like to hire some interns. I, I mean, I, I'm a PhD. I, I taught for many years, so that mentorship piece is important to me. Uh, I'd like to have someone to help me figure out um, and manage some of the business things uh, that I'm doing. I'd like to I'm working toward a goal of becoming a B corporation. Uh, that's part of it. Um, and I am also in the process of hiring an equity consultant. And I'm hoping that that relationship will grow so that we can keep thinking about how we're building this thing really inclusively. So in terms of a team, I'm not looking to scale massively, but I, I do want to have people around me who can help me fill my blind spots. Sure. Yeah. Well, I love that. I think it's a good vision for, you know, maybe a year from now. Tell us uh, on your coaching call today, how can Clay and I help you? What are some roadblocks that you're facing? What what advice can we give you? What uh, hurdles can we help you jump? Where can we kick off this uh, this coaching portion of the call? Well, honestly, I mean, I'm taking your course right now. You're obviously experienced at, at course building. And, and I'm trying to think of how to use the building of my course as a way to evaluate the success in my business, you know, from, from a business side, kind of develop that recurring revenue piece and, and develop a model where, you know, if tragedy strikes my family, or if I want to take a vacation at the business can kind of keep going without me being, mm-hmm. you know, in that feast or famine cycle. I think that's part of it. Um, so really the teaching side is something I was trained in a lot, but 
I, most of my work experience has been in academia. The business side is something I have a lot to learn about. And so I suppose thinking about how you, how you fit that course into your business model and use it as a way to integrate into the system instead of being a total red herring side project. Oh, that's good. So, so quick question. Um, so what kind of course is this going to be and who's it going to be for? So it's going to be pretty focused for now. Uh, this is a course on uh, entrepreneurship for PhDs, specifically in the social sciences and humanities. Um, I The reason for that is I wrote an article on Inside Higher Ed, which is in the Inside Higher Ed community, a, a great forum for talking about issues that universities are facing, especially with COVID. Uh, and the article was about this idea that PhDs tend to really... Uh, you know, all of us, when I started my PhD, I was convinced I was going to be a professor, Um, you know, and everyone, maybe not everyone, but most of us go in making that what was for me a seven-year commitment of, you know, pretty low stipend to to kind of reach that goal. These are people with big dreams, but the academic market's drying up and the training for PhDs is starting to become more intentional, but there's still not a lot of institutional support to help them think about what else they could do. And from my perspective, thinking toward that community that's not just academics, for me, that's an opportunity to get a bunch of really smart, critical thinkers out into the world, fostering Mm -hmm, these mm -hmm. collaborations. So so anyway, that's a long-winded way of saying the course is for these people who, in many cases, I think are already entrepreneurs and may not realize it yet. So it's a six-week model where... Um, and, you know, they go in, they get these critical skills that will help them toward a business plan, but also just recognize and honor their skills in a way that they maybe haven't before to think about all kinds of pathways. And and the, the value proposition is you walk out of this course with a community and with the beginnings of a really solid business plan. Have you ever noticed that many of the problems people calling with on this show can be solved by hiring someone? Sometimes you need a full-fledged team, other times maybe just a simple assistant or an expert in something you're not great at. Whatever your reason for hiring, we recommend you take a look at LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. As you may know already, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. And LinkedIn Jobs makes the process of finding the perfect teammate easy and intuitive. Hiring is always easy when you have access to so many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours when using LinkedIn Jobs. I've used it myself, and it was so simple. In fact, I've made multiple hires using LinkedIn Jobs. And did I mention, by the way, it's free to business owners like me and you. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash freelance. That's linkedin.com slash freelance to post your job for free or click the link in our show description. Terms and conditions apply. You know, working from home is mostly great, but there are some days when I realize I haven't left my house or even my chair like all day. Have you been there? Getting outside to exercise or making a trip to the gym are just harder now that my office is just a flight of stairs away. If you're stuck in the same rut as me, then you should try Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W. With the Hydro rower and 20 minutes a day, getting a full body workout is so much easier. Hydro can work up to 86% of your muscles in just 20 minutes for an insane, effective home workout. That's because Hydro 
compares the effectiveness of rowing with the power of technology to connect you with over 5,000 video trainings, classes, and workouts. And get ready to get out from behind your home desk because after a few months of daily rowing with Hydro, your partner's gonna wanna take you out for a night on the town to show you off. This spring, join the growing rowing community at Hydro. Head over to hydro.com and use code FREELANCE to save up to $400 off your Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W.com and promo code FREELANCE to save $400. Hydro.com, promo code FREELANCE, or just click the link in our show description. Okay, so that that's really, I, I like I like the direction. I, I think there's, there's uh, it sounds like there's massive opportunity there. Yeah. Um, I, I'm just curious, like, is this a, is this a trend that you see amongst your peers? Like, are you part of like some Facebook groups that, that are like PhDs only or like, or is this just an idea that you got, you just uh, pulled out of the air that you think would be good? Like where, what, what, what uh, sparked this idea? Um, It's a really good question. So over the, so part of what sparked this idea is that I've, I've lived it, right? I, I decided about halfway through my PhD that I needed to start looking at other things. And so I started writing on a freelance basis. I did an internship at the National Endowment for the Humanities and then kept writing articles for them. And it, it went really well, but I, it never occurred to me to think of it as a side hustle. And lots of PhDs are doing freelance work of all kinds or volunteer work or student government or whatever it is. Um, and for me, I really had to actively seek out mentors and people who had graduated with PhDs who were doing other things because they just, the universities are focused on helping people become professors and and they don't invest as much energy in in surfacing those networks of people who don't, even though there are so many of us. Uh, So that's part of the need. And then this entrepreneurship piece, honestly, wasn't something I was thinking about in the beginning, but I wrote that article and tons of people came out of the woodwork and said, you're describing me, you know, that that's my experience. I, I left the university and then I felt kind of ostracized and, and, you know, exactly what you said, that's exactly been my experience that my skills have transformed in all of these different ways and, and translated. And, and there's never really been a way to connect and talk about that and figure out how to make that something productive. So I started having these consultations with all these people who reached out to me and thinking maybe there's a way to develop some kind of professionalization course, work with the universities on that. And and that piece didn't get as much traction because these institutions, they have to plan so far ahead for what they're doing. But um, people kept coming back to me and saying, I would love to take a course on how you built your business. And for me, this was months into my business. I was like, oh, uh, I'm not the expert here, but I've kind of realized that I'm far enough along and it has gone well enough that I realize what people need to know in order to think about their businesses more seriously. And I I really think that a lot of PhDs are already entrepreneurs and just aren't thinking of themselves yeah. that way. A lot of the skills I, are really similar. Yeah. I You know, one thing that comes to mind, you said you're taking our course right now. You're referring to our, our five-day challenge. One thing that comes to mind that I've tried to do as I've developed courses, and I haven't done a ton of course development. Clay can maybe speak to a little bit more. He's done a little bit maybe more educational training. He has a product where you know people can learn how to be better marketers. Obviously, get Dripify. We talk about it on the show. Um, but uh, you know, one thing that maybe you could potentially do is like partner with entrepreneurs. You there? Yeah, I'm here. Um, oh, sorry. I would... maybe... Oh. 
Sorry, maybe there was a big gap. Uh, sorry. So sorry, the editor's going to have to edit that out. That's fine. <laughs> Clay, can you hear go me? Ahead. Yeah, I can. I can now. Go ahead. Okay, cool. Um, <clears throat> you know, one thing I've been able to do is is pull in like people who know even more than I do about a, a given topic. So like you might have a good foundational idea of what needs to go in the course. But like, for example, I pulled Clay in on this challenge because he has built, he has gone from being a freelancer to building an agency that made a million dollars in recurring revenue over the course of a year. So like, and it took him four years to do it. So, um, so I knew Clay would bring some really cool insight to this challenge, particularly, or this course, you might call it. Uh, so it could be cool to like, you know, set up the outline, but then also bring in people who are more experienced than you, smarter than you in certain areas to, to like lend, uh, credibility to the course as well. Yeah, I think that's a really good idea. Um, I've been thinking about that in the context of academic partners, but, but in terms of the entrepreneurs who have, who've gone through it in different ways, I was thinking in the context of guest speakers, but I think you're totally right that, that bringing people in who are a little bit further along, um, in the yeah, I mean, it could be it could be an interview. Like you could you could just interview that person if that's all you could get from them, or if they could help with some of the modules. Like it could be cool to have a few different people who have done this like PhD to entrepreneurship route mm-hmm. talk about how that went for them. Certain elements of your course, I think that could really enrich the course and make it an even better product. And and what we're really talking about when we talk about making it a better product is marketing. Like some people think you, you make this thing, you build this thing, and then you market it. But if you, if you think about your product first, as, you know, as you're building your product, that's your best marketing is coming up with really the, the best product because then the advertising that you do on the back end becomes a lot easier. You basically just tell people about it and the product is so good. The course is so good because it has so many great experts or it has such great topics or it solves such a painful problem. Then then your sales on on the back end really become quite a lot easier. Yeah, that's that's interesting. So so let me ask you a follow up question there, if that's okay. Um, yeah, please. I yeah, thanks. When I so in my last role, I was working in a university and I was developing this program around how how to help faculty build plans to create positive change. So it was a lot of things. I was talking about earlier with my own business, with, um, you know, how do you communicate better? How do you collaborate? If you're meeting with a new partner, how, how do you steer that mm-hmm. conversation where it needs to go? And, and the course was really, um, really successful in a lot of ways, but it, it also, um, there were so many different components to it and so many different collaborators that it just, it, I mean, it was a ton of work, but also I found it hard to evaluate because there were so many pieces. So I, I mm. guess what I'm what I'm looking for in terms of advice was thinking toward this model of of the minimum viable product. Uh, you know, for me, there are some deal breakers where mm, yeah. I can make this really lean, but there are some things like the community piece is going to be hard to facilitate. But for me, it's just non negotiable. That has to be there. But in, yeah. in terms of once you start involving other people, you know, it, it adds a lot of time. So how do you how do you do that? in a systematic way? Because every person you would work with is different and has different expertise. But do you have advice in general about when you start collaborating with others, how to clarify the terms of reference from the beginning and, and manage that? Yeah, that's a great question. I think for me, minimum viable would mean like interviews where where literally the commitment is an hour of their time. 
There's not a lot of collaborating that has to happen. It's just, can you get on a call? Can we do an interview? And then you can put that content with, you know, contextually within your course. Um, if, if I were building a minimum viable course, I would, I would do something like that. Uh, you know, if I wanted to include other experts, I would probably build my course, a very basic version of it, and then find areas that I think I needed to expound on or have deeper uh, curriculum on, and then find some experts that I could interview and, and include, you know, like a bonus video in that particular module or something. That way you can still keep it very basic. You're still 100% in control of, of what's in it and when it launches and how, you know, it doesn't get too out of control because you're right. It, it, maybe what I was suggesting earlier is, is, is too much to take on for the first iteration of this kind of thing. Um, but, but yeah, I would, I would maybe find ways to collaborate where they're not, they don't necessarily have a, a vested interest or anything in the product. They are just doing you maybe a, a quick favor with an interview or a worksheet or a, you know, a, something that they already have that they can just lend to your project. Yeah, that's a great call. As yeah. you're talking, I can think of some people who would be awesome for that. Can we, can we take a step back for a second? Um, I, I want to kind of get some clarification. Is this a course that you just, you, you haven't, you haven't put together yet, correct? It's just the idea of it? Um, well, I'm, I'm a teacher at heart, so I've got a syllabus. I've got like a, like a secret page on my website that I haven't published yet. And I, I've started to hire a team to help me design it. And I've also got research partners in a faculty of education who are, who are helping me think through how I'm going to evaluate it from an educational perspective. But it's, it's the business piece that I'm really lacking, the figuring out how to market okay. it, which platform to use. Mm, yeah. So um, so the teaching pieces are there, but not the business pieces or not. Yeah, I, I would, uh, and Preston would agree with me on this one. Um, I'm a big fan of pre-selling. I knew you were going to say this. Yeah, because yeah. like, the, like you're, you're talking about like collaboration and what platform, like what tech, marketing it, things like that. Syllabus. Like that's, syllabus, like that's a lot. That's a lot of, um, uh, what am I trying to say? That's a, It's just a lot of, uh, hurdles to to put to put out put a MVP out there a minimum viable product right it's so, a lot of work to do before you even know if people want it I mean you've had yeah. people tell you that they'd be interested in it but like like to 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 illustrate this challenge that you're a part of now Clay and I started selling what Clay last November um, yep. as literally an outline on the sales page <laughs> and it wasn't until the very first part of January we went through Thanksgiving all of December holidays Christmas holidays New Year's all of that. And then when we were finally back from all of that in January, we said, okay, what are we going to actually do? And I mean, we had a basic outline, right? Very, very basic outline. Yep. And then we finally just said, what are we going to do on this thing? Um, by then, we had sold almost all of our seats to that challenge. And um, we maybe got one or two more people after that point. Yeah. But we literally sold almost that whole thing based on just an outline. That is minimum viable. Yeah, that that's that's what I would suggest to do actually is because like you, you said you wrote a piece on it and you said these people quote like you said it like quote people came out of the woodworks um and said that 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 was them, right? It was describing them. Is that correct? Like you said that earlier? Yeah, it wasn't about the course specifically, but but basically the the idea of what we'd be teaching yeah. or seed of it. Yeah. So to me, this is what I would do if I were you. I would put together a basic outline, which you, it sounds like you already have, um, and give it a really good name, and 
I would put it out there to the world and and I wouldn't be salesy with it, right? Like on your first announcement of it, I would just I would just make it and <clears throat> just publicly put it out there and say, I think I'm going to put something together that uh that does this and this and this. Who wants in? And that's all you say. Mm-hmm. You don't say it's going to cost num- x number of dollars or anything like that. And then you all you do is you say who wants in? Say yes, right? I'm assuming you're going to put this on social media or something. And so if you just get people to say, okay, comment yes um, on Facebook, Instagram, whatever. It could be even on an email um, or a Facebook private uh, Facebook uh, private group. Um, and then you just see what happens. You just see like who would actually who's actually going to engage with that kind of announcement. And then what you do, and this is how I pre-sell everything is you, you individually message each one of those people that actually engage with that announcement. And you say, mm-hmm. well, guess what? This is what I, I put together. Um, it's going to, when I launch it, it's going to cost X number of dollars. But I want to do a, I want to do like a beta group and I want to try it out. And so you'll get a little bit of a discount. But you got you got to get on it now. I'm only taking X number of people, and so that that's how I pre-sell everything. You can also you can also use that moment to learn from them what they would want from a course. So instead of developing oh, yeah. a whole course first and then trying to sell it, instead you you pre-sell like uh, what Clay is saying here, and then you message those people and you say, "We're still working on the curriculum." Uh, what do you think about covering this and this and this? What are we leaving out? What do you wish this would cover? What's, what are the pain points? You know, maybe you find less less markety way to say that, but you know, what are what are some of the pain points that you're facing that you would hope we would solve uh, from you taking this course? And they basically give you the criteria to develop that syllabus and the the curriculum for the course. You know, I thank you both. I love that approach because I've been as you're talking, I've been thinking about this in terms of, I need to do these steps before I can build the community. But the reality is the community is already there. So if I can Mm. respond to their needs now, that's, that's way better. That's a, that's a much better strategy, uh, both, both maybe from a, from a business perspective, but also just fits within the vision of what I want to do. So thanks. That's great advice. Awesome. Well, glad we could help. Go ahead, Clay. Well, I was going to say, I think, I think like if, 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 let's just say later down the road, like you pre-sell this thing. And um, I think later down the road, if you actually do want to get some collaborators, I think it's a lot easier to get people who to, to collaborate. If you say, I've already got a hundred people that are going to, that already bought this. And so I think it's a lot easier to pitch that idea to get people to actually collaborate with you versus saying, Hey, here's this idea. Um, I have no idea if it's going to work, but you want to contribute. <laughs> So it's a much yeah, different pitch, good point. I guess you could say. Totally, yeah. Plus, you'd have a little budget if you needed it. Like if someone would, you know, do a module for you, but they're going to require a payment for it or something, you would then be able to say, well, I do have a little bit of cash from the pre-sale that I've done that I could invest in the development of this course. So I think it does open up your your opportunities more to, you know, you say you're you're an educator and and, and Clay and I are definitely more business people than educators. We, we would focus on the selling first and the education piece second. 
yeah, I mean, for me, they go hand in hand, like getting that initial Definitely. sort of data and feedback to be able to evaluate whether this is actually meeting the student's need. Like that, that's, that works for pedagogy too. I, I found throughout this process that there are so many similarities between the path that researchers take to really, you know, if you think about it, you're defining your audience, you're defining your specific niche and what contribution you're bringing to a particular con- context. And for me, that's also what entrepreneurship is which is kind of why I think these things have these points of connection in the first place. So, you know, you say the sales and the education are, are separate, but if you think about collecting the information so that you can evaluate it and make things better, that's what researchers do too. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is kind of getting your MBA, uh, basically tying together product development and marketing is what I'm getting at and not being very articulate about it, but you know, I used to work in product development as well as in marketing. I've been on both sides of it. And so you, you're right. You do it hand in hand. The, 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 the people who do them hand in hand, those products are the most successful. If you develop a product in a vacuum, uh, no feedback, it can completely tank and you've wasted time and money and resources. If you uh, do your marketing without, you know, I used to work at a job where I had to just market and promote and advertise things that someone else made. And I wasn't allowed to have input in the thing that was being made. And it was so frustrating because I would say, you know, if this changed in this way or this way, way more people would buy it. Um, but they had already made the thing without my input as as the guy who understands the market. Um, and, and by then it was too late. And so, yeah, they do go hand in hand. It's a great insight. I appreciate you adding that. Oh, my pleasure. And I, I, yeah, I appreciate yours too. I, I think that's totally right. And that sounds extremely frustrating. So I can, I can. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I would, I I just want to add too, like, uh, if you're not already a part of any uh, Facebook groups is what comes to mind for me. I bet you, cause there's Facebook groups for everything. I bet you there's some Facebook groups out there that, that, uh, that are private that are just for PhDs. And that there would are. be a big pool of people. There are. A lot of them are focused on getting their dissertations done. But I, I think, you know, it, another similarity between PhDs and entrepreneurs is the imposter syndrome piece. And I, I think mm. popping into those communities to say, yeah. you know, you have really valuable skills and you, you may be worried about your career prospects. I know you've got tunnel vision to get this thing done. But just so you know, you have lots of value in lots of contexts. Um, and you know, Hey, we can help if you want, but, but I think putting some of that content out there without being salesy about it kind of builds toward that goal too. Even like building some publicity around people you do end up helping. Like if, if there's a PhD who decided to take a more entrepreneurial route because of some of the things that you worked with them on, um, showing that they were able to make a difference despite, you know, working in maybe the public sector or or whatever, uh, working as a full-fledged, you know, private sector entrepreneur, you could, you could tell those kinds of stories in groups like that. And, and people could see, oh, I, I can make a difference in more ways than just teaching, which is a noble calling and a, a obviously very much needed. But like you've said, there are, there are countless other ways that people can make a positive difference with their education. Um, and you could tell those stories. And I think that would, that would really light some people up and get them excited about eventual products that you could release. That makes sense. And the storytelling is my favorite piece of the job. So, so that appeals to me from that perspective. Mm, Yeah. So, but uh, going back to something Clay said, can I ask you why Facebook over LinkedIn? Because I know Facebook has some like data, data security questions, and some people are a little 
squeamish about it for that reason. I see these communities building up, but what I'm trying to figure out is is why one social media platform over another and specifically those two? Yeah. Um, You know, I say that, I I say it not one over the other. Like I say you actually do both. Um, and, And, well, let me rephrase. I say you go wherever your audience is. Wherever so it works. If it's, yeah. yeah. If it's in LinkedIn, like it's LinkedIn. Like it, I know LinkedIn has some groups and, and things like that, but like Facebook groups are also highly engaging. And so I, I would try both um, in, in addition to other, other places um, and, and just see what works. And so like, I just say Facebook groups because like, that's like very, very popular right now. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And that is where I see most of the action happening. I, yeah, I, I, I just know a lot of, a lot of my market, even though they're using it, they're, they're worried about the, some of the privacy stuff. And so just, just from that, that perspective, I'm, I'm always trying to figure out what are the best channels to use without spreading myself way too thin. Cause that is something I was never a social media user until I started this business. And then I was like, you have to, you, you just have to learn. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a valid concern. I mean, like, like one of the big topics right now, is, at least at the, the time of this recording, is uh, the whole Facebook-Apple war. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if you're familiar with this, but there's supposed to be like some updates to all the iPhones and stuff that's supposed to, that's supposed to um, uh, show Facebook content less and less to iPhone users. Um and also there's the whole like Facebook getting in like trouble with the whole political stuff and like privacy and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so like you never know, like Facebook might be might go away tomorrow. Who knows? You know? And so it, it's just good to 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 be diverse in in uh where you uh engage with your audience, but also it's important to uh just it's good to be diverse just in case the platform goes away. But I say I say that it's also important to take advantage of the platforms that you currently have available to you. So like right now, Clubhouse is super popular. I love and Clubhouse. So, yeah. So if you go on Clubhouse, I'm sure there's some talks on uh, like from PhDs, you know? So like that's a, especially right now because Clubhouse is like super new. Um, and so that might be, actually, that might be a really good platform because it is basically just talk radio. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, so I just take advantage of the, the platforms that you have currently available. However, be ready, be ready just in case that those platforms go away. So it's, it's good to not be dependent on a single p- platform. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. That's, that's great insight. Thanks. All right, Erica. Well, I think this has been a great conversation. Hopefully you've gotten a lot out of it. We've enjoyed definitely speaking with you about your business we do have to run. Uh, we have, well, we'll actually be meeting with you and some of our other friends here in about 10 minutes, but um, we appreciate you jumping on the call today. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. This was super helpful. I really appreciate it. I'm glad to hear that. Fun. All right. Take care. All right. See you later. See ya. Freelance to Founder is produced by the team at Millo. Visit millo.co to level up your freelancing. And Dripify, visit getdripify.com to become a bad A in business. Freelance to Founder is also part of the Podglomerate. You can check out more amazing podcasts at thepodglomerate.com.
The theme music for this show was produced by Joaquin Carud. You can catch past episodes at FreelanceToFounder.com or by searching Freelance to Founder in your favorite podcast player. While you're at it, we'd love an honest review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's all for now. Until next time. See ya.